The following contains plot spoilers, and the comments and opinions expressed herein are for entertainment and commentary purposes only and may not reflect the actual opinions of Geeks Radio or the individual hosts. So don't get mad. It's just a show. It is a new world. A world where sometimes superheroes don't wear capes. And sometimes superhero movies aren't even made for movie theaters. This is Totally Super. Welcome to Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And today we are reviewing The Old Guard, the 2020 Netflix release starring Charlize Theron. Mm -hmm. And we're going to have to hit that question, that ever-present question. Dear Arthur, what, what, sir, is a superhero movie? Yeah. Because Um, I love Highlander. It's great. And I'm happy that they're still making Highlander movies um for those of you who were not born yet when highlander was a thing Mm -hmm. highlander is a movie that had a series of movies and a very successful tv show about a series of immortals that went around fighting often with guns but eventually with swords so here we go so with the old a, guard. Here's a couple answers to that. For well, three answers to that. First, um, my, my my first answer is you know what I'm going to say, which is if the Crow can be a superhero film, then the Old Guard is a superhero film for the same reasons. The Crow was a comic first. The Old Guard also a comic first. For the same reasons, the Crow is about a guy who goes around with guns and often swords, fighting the bad guys as they shoot him dead. He falls on the ground. We all go. Oh no! And then, like thirty seconds later, he sits back up and he goes, "But uh, I'm alive again." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's pretty much his power. It yeah, is. I get the crow could be a member of the of the old. Could, guy. It could be that these are just a bunch of crows because yeah, they either that or maybe he was they, part of the old guard. Maybe he was part of the old guard, and they're just like, "Oh yeah, well, what about Gary? Oh, he was just too emo. We we sent him off yeah. on his own." <laughs> oh, Eric Draven. Uh, Eric Draven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eric Draven is is don't, gone. Don't get me yeah, started Eric, on Draven. Eric um, Draven. Eric Draven. <laughs> Eric Draven and Connor McCloud are off having their own Hobbs and Shaw spinoff <laughs> sequel where they because it's sort of the same rules, right? The rules are sort of you live your life. Everything's fine. You don't know what's going on until suddenly you die violently, mm-hmm. which is what happens to the immortals in Highlander, yep. which is also what happens to the crow, except the crow makes you wait a year. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of the same thing. Then you wake up and if you fight and get shot, you pretty much die again for a second and then you come back back to life it does follow the same rules as the crow it does and highlander mm-hmm. these could be crowlanders crowlanders these, Let's, yeah. these, these are crowlanders in a team superhero movie and do they deserve to be called superheroes we will go over that yeah question now i will say the uh first uh thank you to my friend zach who recommended this film uh Hi, this zach. is the first this is the first netflix uh like the netflix first netflix launch film that we have watched and reviewed I probably believe. not the last probably not it's a changing world everything's coming out on not theaters now black widow is on the way i just watched the trailer for kong versus godzilla which looks amazing is it the same person who did king of monsters uh Yes, it because is. that movie had no business being half as good as it ended up being. Yes, it's the it's the same people that did the new Godzilla with Brian Cranston, and then Kong Skull Island, and then King of Monsters, and there's an old uh, an old dude character in King of Monsters that was actually a young dude character in Kong Skull Island. Oh, that's cool. And now it's all coming together to watch them destroy bomb a town. <laughs> um, 
uh, we were talking yeah you're gonna have to yes we were talking about ll cool j's seminal classic i'm gonna knock you out and the greatest rhymes of all time culminating in the in the climactic don't never ever pull my lever rhyme which is arguably stolen from shakespeare sorry Mm -hmm. bill yeah sorry anyway plus that uh that whole that whole town line that uh that aged well This movie was directed by Gina Prince-Bythewood. I love, I love that all these action movies are getting made by women. Same finally. here. Yeah. Um, we've been watching, we just finished up the season of a couple of weeks ago of Star Trek Discovery. And most of the episodes are, are being directed by women, seeing how many women are directing The Mandalorian mm-hmm. and, and how well, like you and I will eventually talk about Patty Jenkins and Wonder Woman 84. Um, but in other ways, other female directors are doing excellent excellent jobs um and it's it's amazing the idea that up to this point we had almost like a moratorium on women directing at all and then mm-hmm. they're like oh Catherine bigelow will direct all the action movies that that she wants and she can be the one action movie directing woman and it turns out that Oh, women are really good at directing action. It's movies. astonishing. It's it's almost just like in a genre where the action has always been good, but most of the time what it's lacking is story and character development. Turns out female directors ha- tend to have yeah. a, in general, have a pretty good knack for that. And there's absolutely no slack on the directing. And I like, it's, it's almost feels like faint praise. Like the praise itself almost feels sexist to, mm-hmm. to, to do, but it's, I, I gotta say it's about time and I am happy to, I'm happy to see it. And you know what? Let me actually get out in front of this. Cause I just realized I don't want to give the sense that, uh, I certainly don't want to be giving the sense of painting with a broad brush of, Oh, women are good with story and characters and male directors are good with action because we are going to talk about the action sequences in this film. Oh, yeah. Uh, there was, for sure. it, this was wonderful. Uh, so big shout out to her for that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's an important move. And I, you know, you and I don't talk about The Mandalorian on this show, but we talked about it off. How you have finished the last season of The Mandalorian, correct? Correct. Yeah. You know, Should we get spoiler with, warning for Mandalorian content? Minor spo- spoiler warning for Mandalorian content. The final episode of this season of Mandalorian has about a 10 minute sequence where four women are just kicking butt and taking names mm-hmm. and you don't even think about it yeah there isn't that avengers endgame moment where they're all like and here's the women there's just like they're doing the job and doing a great job and knocking out stormtroopers like it's no tomorrow and i mentioned this to my wife who hadn't even noticed oh that, that's, that's that crazy. hadn't even noticed that we're just watching four women do what we would for years have watched four men do it was such a non-issue that that's what was happening that it just seemed natural that I've of been... course they are and it was it when she realized that she hadn't realized it made her very happy oh that's wonderful yeah kelly is uh my kelly she's been when we've been watching things together she does not notice diversity but she notices is lack of diversity like she won't comment on oh look at the you know there's a um, there's a racially diverse cast or something like that she will absolutely comment on why is everybody in this scene white yeah. so I kind of like that it, it means that the default is changing uh, and it's a it's a welcome change to be sure let's talk about the Old Guard like I said directed by Gina Prince Bythewood uh, starring Charlize Theron and a bunch of people I don't really know and and Chiwetel Ejiofor <laughs> <laughs> um, who and the agent from Serenity? Yeah, and it occurred to me. It occurred to me that the the main character in here, I guess, played by Kiki Lane, is supposed to be like twenty something years old. And if you were to take pictures 
of Chiwetel Ejiofor from Serenity, which came out 15 years ago. And you were to take pictures of Charlize Theron from The Devil's Advocate, which came mm-hmm. out like 18 years ago. And then you were to take pictures of Kiki Lane in her crib. It would be <laughs> really concerning to you about how maybe they all have these powers because they're vampires. I don't know how this is working because <laughs> I I I get credit from people who've known me for a really long time that I look uh, that I haven't aged very much in the last twenty years mm-hmm. that I have sort of kept the same face. People I concur with that 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 somehow I look the same as I did when I was twenty seven. But there's people like me who that's sort of true for. Then there's these two. Yeah, because these two are I, they are drinking the blood of their enemies. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know how they're pulling this off. But holy crap. They're they're astoundingly good looking and perpetually young people, and I am jealous beyond all rational thought ah. about this fact. the uh, The budget for the movie was seventy million dollars, a cool seventy million. It runs one hundred and twenty five minutes. It was released on Netflix on July tenth, twenty twenty. This is the moment that I would normally tell you how much money it made, but we don't we don't know. know. We have no idea if this was a, like the only thing we have is that it was on the top ten like Netflix show this week for a mm-hmm. long time which netflix controls so what's on the top 10 so they can put whatever up there that they want it has an 80 percent on rotten tomatoes the general consensus is that it's pretty good um the potential sequel says uh here that i'm just looking real real quick that it's possible it doesn't sound like there's a lot of stuff moving it's based on the comic book by greg rucka of the same name uh, and I guess that's the point when we should get from you before we get started. Yeah. The plot of this this Highlander film. Go. All right. Here we go. And uh, this will be a shout out to Wiki- Wikipedia, which has a pretty robust plot that I will be reading from. All right. Andromache, or Andy, of Scythia, Booker, Joe, and Nikki are centuries-old warriors with unexplained regenerative healing abilities who use their vast experience to work as mercenaries, taking missions that help people, breaking their rule of never working for the same employer's twice. They accept a job from former CIA operative James Copley to rescue a group of kidnapped girls in South Sudan. During the mission, which proves to be a ruse, they are ambushed and killed. After quickly recovering from their deaths and killing their attackers, they realize that Copley set them up and remotely filmed their regeneration. Meanwhile, in Afghanistan, U.S. Marine Niall Freeman has her throat slit while taking down a military target during a house search, only to recover without a scratch. Later, she shares a disturbing dream with the other immortals, who are then alerted to her existence, as they experience dreams of any new immortals until found. Andy tracks down a confused Nile and extracts her from Afghanistan before military personnel can transfer her for further testing. Copley, meanwhile, shows the video of the ambush to pharmaceutical executive Stephen Merrick, who sends operatives to capture the team. Andy brings Nile to a safe house in France, where she meets the rest of their team. She is told about the female immortal Quinn, the first of Andy's comrades, who was captured, accused of witchcraft and lost to them when cast somewhere into the sea in an Iron Maiden and has been continually drowning ever since. The group also reveals that they are not truly immortal. Their ability to heal eventually stops without warning, which happened to a previous immortal, Lycan. The group is ambushed by Merrick's forces. Joe and Nikki are captured while a seemingly deceased Booker is left behind. While Booker regenerates, Andy kills all of their assailants but is wounded and realizes she is not healing. Booker locates Copley, while Niall separates from the group to reunite with her family. 
Andy and Booker confront Copley, only for Booker to portray Andy and Shooter, arguing that Merrick might find a way to end the immortality that they have both grown weary of. As they are captured, however, Booker realizes that Andy is not healing. Copley has a change of heart when he sees that Merrick is willing to torture the immortals indefinitely to study them. Niall, having realized Booker sold out the group, arrives too late to intervene, but she convinces Copley to assist her in a rescue mission. She storms Merrick's London office, and after she frees the rest of the immortals, they fight their way out through the rest of Merrick's security, with Niall saving Andy from Merrick by hurling him out of a window. As punishment for his betrayal, the group sentenced Booker to loneliness, forbidding Booker from contacting them for a hundred years. The rest of the group meet with Copley, who explains how his research revealed their past missions had a greater effect than they ever knew, with the descendants of people they had rescued going on to help the world in many different ways. With renewed faith in their existence, the group tasks Copley with maintaining their secret and finding missions where they can have effect. Credit scene. Six months later in Paris, a depressed and drunken Booker is astonished to find Quinn in his apartment, waiting. Fien. And I should actually, I want to quote uh, something I was reading. I think a quote by Greg Rucka, who described that little coda scene, uh, possibly one of the best ways I've ever de- heard a coda screen, uh, coda scene described, which was, in case of sequel, break glass. Uh. Like, it's just that scene just sets it up perfectly. Well, if this is, if there's going to be a sequel, this is obviously what it's going to be about. Yeah, there are two movies in this movie. One is a good movie. One is a bad movie. That is good. And go on. The first half of this movie, and there's a there's sort of a a, a descent into quality madness as the movie goes on. The movie starts super strong and is smart, thoughtful, effective, is working on like one of these levels, like one of these shows like Doom Patrol or The Boys, right? Or The Umbrella Academy, where you're getting this, let's get into the minds and the heads and the hearts of these characters who are in this situation. And that movie is an A plus, almost five, you know, I would give it a rating out of five. The movie descends into being a bad Highlander movie movie with good action and i love those <laughs> so those would normally get a 3.5 or a four stars on me if you and i ever did highlander endgame i get that it's bad it's not that i don't know mm-hmm. but i love it and i sometimes, can quote it sometimes from bad beginning can, it to can, end it can be it can sometimes a film can be bad but still be fun yeah like like about the quality of an 80s jean-claude van damme movie is about where the quality of this movie gets That's, to minus like minus the fact that this movie does have really good action it's sort of like hard target which was directed by john woo where it's not good by any stretch of the imagination hard target but i've seen it so many times (laughs) how does it feel to be hunted how about you (laughs) like that's just it's so good and that's that's interesting that uh you say so my takeaway from this is and i'll say you know what this film got better upon second viewing for me okay um because there were things that jumped out at me uh there are a lot of things in this film that you realize it's like neither hero nor action films have done this before um or if they haven't been if they have been done before they are exceedingly rare um both in terms of story and action i'd love to hear Um, about those yeah no the so there were things that jumped out at me there is i get the sense that like i finished watching the film and was not left with a sense of rah you know that you sometimes feel, you know, when you when you're finished watching a good Marvel film or something, it's it the film felt solid, um, but it it was lacking that sort of je ne sais quoi that you know that really just 
sort of pushes it into this like the super emotionally memorable thing for me. Um, so I guess that's you probably would be able to get more specific about what was quote unquote good versus bad with it. For me, it was just more that feeling of this is better than fine, but it's not sweep me away uh, with the exception of a couple specific things that I do really want to talk about at some point. Yeah, for me, it was to give my overview at the beginning that I'll then go back to at the end. It was a incredibly well constructed, well acted thoughtful, emotional, character-driven thing to start with that just turns into such a mess and almost a car wreck by the end. Oh, wow. I didn't feel... I, no, I, I, I never no, felt but, car no, wreck. Here's the thing. It's a beautiful car wreck. That I, I don't want to give the impression that I was not enjoying it. I was having a hell of a good time. And I and I looked over to, to Mrs. J and I said, this right now, the movie just crossed the line out of good into something that's not good. And I maybe like it better and then i looked at her and said i could watch 10 of these hey i could watch well, that's the always old, high praise. i could watch the old guard 10 and let's be clear i'm watching second season of doom patrol right now and it is sometimes a hard watch because the characters on that show are so self-destructive mm-hmm. that that i am feeling like we're actually taking a break for a couple days because i was just like ugh, like it's it's good and yes it's funny but it's hard to watch these characters yeah. i care about hurt themselves constantly mm-hmm. And this is not that. This is just like, yeah, it starts as that. It feels like an Umbrella Academy when it starts. It really does. Mm -hmm. And it ends in this weird, like, good, bad movie place. And I can Mm -hmm. tell you the place where I turned on the film. Yeah, what was the moment for you? The moment that, and I I don't want to say that I turned on the film because I didn't turn on the film. I never turned on this film. This film turned on me. And I was like, all right, yeah, no, I'm good with that, right? It's like, you know, let me let me relate an allegorical experience that that I have experienced so very many times. It's like when when there's a beautiful demure woman who who wants more than anything to to engage in love and passion with me. And then as she starts to do so, as she starts to do so, she says, she says, what I really want to do is just go ride roller coasters all day. And you know, <laughs> first of all, none of that ever happens because I've been married since I was five. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we understand the hypothetical uh, implications. <laughs> but also, yay, roller coasters! Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's that's- like- Okay, not 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 exactly what I started this date for, but hey, I'm not going to say no to roller coasters. Yeah, That's roller a wonderful way. I, yes. I absolutely adore that. That's wonderful. And <laughs> I'm and stealing s- that. That's great. So, the moment for me was and maybe this is because I'm writing as you know, um hey, for all you end light fans out there, I am writing a book right now. My first book ever, or other than my children's book, uh, Square Hates to Share, available on Amazon right now. Um, I am writing a, a novel, and I've spent about a month working on story structure, which, having written a few screenplays as well, I have become more and more interested in story structure. But I've never spent as much time as I have right now working on story structure, writing out my 40 scenes, making sure that I'm getting my three acts in, blah, 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 blah. I can, Mm -hmm. they might as well have had signposts that said act one, act two, act two, part two. This was a very, you could see that this was like, this was a movie that was really trying to check a lot of boxes. Yeah. Someone read Save the Cat, clearly. 
The thing is, the moment that I was like, oh, this movie's not even trying to be good anymore, is when they started talking about, what's her name, the one who was drowning? Um, Quinn. Quinn. They started talking about Quinn in the middle of the movie. I turned to Mrs. J and I was like, here's my crystal ball prediction. She doesn't get brought up at all for the entire rest of the film. All they're doing here is they're setting up the bad guy for the sequel. <laughs> I said, this scene, I promise you will have- yeah, You're not you, wrong. You would be able to cut this scene and every reference to this scene and the movie would work. Like, you mm-hmm. could- you could completely cut it out. And as they're showing this whole scene, I was like, the only reason for this. I said, mark my words. Mid credits, they will have a scene where Quinn walks into the room. And I said you this. Are, with no, a, you are you are so not wrong. I wow. said this with an hour to go. And I was like, this movie's not even trying to be good anymore. It doesn't even want to. It, it like it's it has said let's go ride roller coasters i think it's, it's i think it's a yeah or it's i i wouldn't qualify it as saying the movie's no longer trying to be good i will say the the scope of it shifts in that moment because when you have the question between because really quinn is introduced at around the same time that the actual villain of the piece merrick is introduced and i do want to give a shout out to uh i think harry Dursley. <laughs> yeah was that dudley it's dudley dursley god no wonder i hated him so much um, yeah, a Dursley big shout out to Harry Melling. I mean, let's be let's be clear. Merrick, it is so obviously probably at, at least in the acting, but probably the writing, everything about that character design was, okay, you know, Screlly the pharma bro, just basically we want to make him the villain because yeah. he it, like, and don't get me wrong, Merrick is one of the most deliciously loathable villains I've seen in a long time. You just hate everything about him. There is no pathos. You want him to suffer horribly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At the yeah, um, but all that being said, when you compare, like if if I came to you and said, "All right, I've got an idea for a big superhero film." Now I've got a choice of two villains for you. Either you know, uh, either the pharma bro, who yeah, everybody sure hates pharma bro, right? Yeah, no, that's kind of cool, and sort of you can bring in big pharma and everything like that. Or an immortal who is who used to be a friend, but then has been forced to drown for five hundred years and cannot stop. And dear God, what must that do to somebody's mind? And which one do you think would be a better pairing with this group of immortal superheroes? I mean, obviously, the answer is Quinn. So it was sort of like a we're going to show this amazing, super perfect villain for this story. But then we're actually going to but then we're going to do this other story instead. So I totally I totally get you on that. Well, because it gives them it lets them cut like 10 minutes out of the sequel because you've had it here already. It lets you cut it straight out so that they can just get you back on the roller coaster next time. Yeah, but it's. But man, I will say this, this film would have been better. I mean, this film would have been better 15 minutes shorter period. And those are the 15. And that's really where you can find at least 10 of your 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. No, there's there are absolutely scenes where you go. This action scene was put in just because they were doing a rewrite and realized it had been 20 minutes since there was an action scene. <laughs> you know, there, there there's stuff that it's and the script gets sillier and sillier and sillier and sillier as it, as it goes on. Nothing makes sense by the end. You know, there's no reason these people are doing the things that they're doing. There's like it, it's it's just so you can see action. But I don't make that complaint when I'm watching John Wick. And I think that's the issue is that this movie doesn't start like a John Wick movie. Mm-hmm. This movie starts in a much more sort of gritty, realistic. What would it really be like to be an immortal superhero type of place? Mm-hmm. And by the end, I just feel like the maybe it's a revision of the screenwriter where where they realized that that idea didn't have enough oomph to it. And the, 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 the tonal shift by the end, there is, is I so, don't, it's so like, have you seen the movie from dust till dawn? Yes. Yeah. The way that they wrote from dust till dawn, it's that Quentin Tarantino 
wrote the first half of the movie, which is this dark, gritty, emotional, very unbelievably tense kidnap thriller where George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino playing their characters uh, uh, kidnap a, a father and his daughter and, and someone takes them on this harrowing journey to a bar. And it is this terrifying, very Tarantino-esque story. And mm-hmm. at the midpoint of the movie, Tarantino <laughs> took his script and he handed it to Robert Rodriguez and said, finish it any way you want. And Robert Rodriguez took the script and decided they get to the bar and the bar is is owned and frequented by incredibly crazy demonic vampires. <laughs> Suddenly and, vampires. And the people who hunt them, including a man with a pistol in his crotch with two things with bullets looking like balls. And, and like, like it, it gets so crazy. And this movie feels that way because I get the dark drama up to a point and then they're just like, nah, no, we have a Bond villain I, that just gets everybody tied down, leaves the room, leaves them alone to do whatever they're going to do. And then they just sort of escape on their own. They run through and just take out a bunch of bad guys and escape. It's it's fun. I, I feel you. I don't. I, to I'm me, not this, complaining. The, yeah, no, 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 no. And, and here's the thing. Like the script to me, the script doesn't go off the rails to the degree that uh, that I think it does for you and but but that tone but i completely agree there is a massive tonal shift um and i will say the the quote unquote uh i i think i totally understand what you're saying and that the first half of the film is quote unquote more good the second of the half the second half of the film is more enjoyable. Yeah. And I, I, think- and I, and it's always a weird thing to say. It's, you know, it's like Shakespeare. It's just like, oh, Shakespeare is so good. Well, do you enjoy Shakespeare? Well, no, I don't enjoy Shakespeare, but that's not the point. It's, of course, there's a strong argument to be made for the parts of any film that are more enjoyable are the better parts of the film. But, but I see what you're saying here. I think this film would have run out of gas on its original merits. And I think that this is a film where you could have just done the quote unquote good version of this film years ago. You could have done this version of the film when The Crow was coming out, which was the Mm -hmm. same time that the Highlander movies were coming out. Yeah. This is now well-worn material. The I'm immortal. It's I mean, the poster for the old guard is a picture of all of them. And on the top, it says forever is harder than it looks. Mm -hmm. That's their attack. Well, that's the that's the entire point of the Crow and Highlander. That's all they're trying to tell you is that being immortal. It sucks because everyone else dies. That's what they try and tell you the whole time. I don't think that I could have done two hours of that story but an hour i like it and now here's the thing too the it is it is well-worn material for us uh for you and i and i'm not just talking about uh you know and i wouldn't even say that for other stuff that we loved growing up like the idea of hey there's this teenager who gets picked on but then suddenly he gets bitten by this radioactive animal and suddenly has superpowers that is well-worn material, even for people who are 20, 30 years younger than us, because thanks to this renaissance of superhero things, everyone knows the Spider-Man story and things like like that's that that crosses generations now. Highlander and the Crow are still unique to our generation. Yeah, they're relics of the 90s. Really. They are, yeah, they have not. They like those have not in any way gone mainstream. So, so for somebody who is not familiar with Highlander or the Crow, this might be there being an immortal is hard. This might be their first sure. being an immortal is hard film. That's fair. That's fair. I think that they know that we are going to be more of the audience. Look at the look at the average age of everybody in this film. Yes, the main character is someone in their 20s, but everyone else is in their 40s or older mm. in this film. And I think that is meant to appeal. The film is called The Old Guard. The Old Guard film with Charlize Theron in the front is not going to be appealing to your average mm. you know, 18-year-old just based on the marketing. Mm-hmm. I think that the film itself probably would. 
but I yeah. think the I think that the marketing it's not being sent out to appeal to us that much. But that's okay. I mean, that's the point I'm trying to make is that I think that Tarantino's kidnap drama has about an hour of life in it in From Dust Till Dawn. Mm-hmm. And I think if there was another hour of it, it would have it would collapsed have under much. its own weight. Yeah. yeah, and I think that this doesn't. I think that this you say go off the rails, and I don't think it goes off the rails. It's just like you disembark from your classic Hogwarts Express, and then mm-hmm. you get on the New York subway, and it does a fine job. It gets you there. It gets you where you need to go, but it's a different experience. I like that. Makes sense. So it's sort of like the movie goes into a tonal shift right at about the point where that it would it have started to. collapsing under its own weight. Now, I'm, now, you know, in an ideal world, your ideal film is never going to collapse under its own weight and therefore has no need for the tonal shift. But that being said, if the only thing that can save your film halfway through is a tonal shift, better to have it than not. Yeah. Like I said, I'd watch 10 of these. Yeah. If I, not back to back. I couldn't binge these. Like I couldn't discover the old guard series the way that I could discover the Terminator series or watch all the old lethal weapons or something like I could not mm-hmm. watch four old guards in a month yeah but if one of these came out every you know year and a half totally absolutely yeah. every well, single time let's and let's talk about some of the things that really that jumped out for us for that the I'd like to start with um I've got two major things to talk about and the first one is the action in it Please. uh the because Anytime I do feel at- like before we start, I always need to, for anybody who's listening for the first time, Arthur has in his repertoire, uh, the places where we come in, when it comes from action, Arthur has in his repertoire, a history of choreographing action scenes, both in on screen and in real life. I also have a, a history of choreographing and shooting action scenes, mm-hmm. yeah. a few of which have been choreographed by Arthur. Yeah, so that, that is, I just feel like we need to throw that out there that, that from an action action point of view we've both created action for people to watch before mm-hmm. yeah there are said, there are dozens upon hundreds upon thousands of people who are better qualified for it than i am but i am not a total layman in this area um the some of the things that i really look for in a good fight sequence are you want emotional intensity uh you want energy that sense you know uh it, it shouldn't be boring uh ideally you want clear as well every fight tells a story and if you cannot follow the plot of the fight then it's not either the best choreographed or the best shot fight there was a period of time like around um born identity and gladiator where the big thing was doing very very fast cuts in the middle of a fight to evoke that sense of chaos and it certainly succeeded in that uh and so the first couple times you watched that you really got the sense of whoa i have no idea what's going on this is emotionally intense but then after that it just sort of became more of the same uh so for me at least my own personal taste is i want to be able to see the story in the fight but the truly the best fights uh on film are the ones that not only are exciting, that not only have a plot of the action that you can follow, but also further reveal the character of the people who are fighting. Um, the uh, When your combat and your action can be a vehicle for telling you more about the characters themselves. Uh, and I felt like this film did that, especially in the end, specifically when it came to working as a team. The level of squad tactics in this film is astonishing. And And it's not just, uh, you know, I'm not just talking about like SWAT breach and clear stuff, although they certainly exhibit a lot of that. But I don't think there's a single phrase or fight sequence.
sequence in this film that involves if it involves more than one of the old guard they are not just fighting individual people themselves they're continuously working with each other you know one person will throw a gun across the across the room somebody catches it fires it like somebody will uh, I think there was one thing where one person had a knife stabbed an opponent so sort of disabling them but then threw them to another of their allies who then was able to deliver the killing blow like in so many ways this the action says uh, like if I didn't know that these people had been working together for 500 years if I was only walking the action only watching the action I would have said my god I have never seen a team who knows each other instinctively more than this Uh, knowing that they're supposed to have been fighting together for this long everything about the action to me says oh yeah no it's very very clear they know each other instinctively Uh, like watching them is like watching one of the best uh, one of the most cohesive small squad units that I've ever seen on film yeah and I was all for it when it was the original old guard when um, you know when Niall joins them and effortlessly becomes part of their squad tactics Mm, point I was distracted by that that was actually one of the one of my nitpicks on the film was that she is not trained with them she doesn't know what the way that they handle that and certainly their squad tactics is not the way that I that Marines fight right Marines don't go in with swords throwing guns across the room catching into like like when she comes in and she leads the group she has no idea what their squad tactics are she's not really been with and trained them trained with them in such a way that we have experienced it and one of the things you do when you construct a story especially at this point because this is the this is what's called the so there is i've mentioned it before and let me go ahead and give it another shout out there's a series of books by blake snyder called save the cat and you can read these books if you're interested in in writing story my friend jamie just wrote save the cat uh for TV, I'm using a lot of the Save the Cat model for um, for the novel that I'm writing. But there are other books too that you can read on story. But the basic idea is that when you get to the third act of the movie or your story or your book, whatever it is you're reading, your character goes in and uses all the lessons that they learned throughout the movie to, uh, to, to basically storm the castle, whatever the castle is. And the castle doesn't have to be, in this case, it was a like a literal castle. You're storming mm-hmm. an area. But even in a romantic comedy your main character is is using everything that they've learned throughout all of act two to finally achieve their goals is they're using what they've they've learned up to that point and you get little moments the best example of this in a fight that i've ever seen is argue i mean again it's unfair to compare this to one of the best fights ever committed to film but uh the end of the legend of drunken master has mm. has an eight minute fight where jackie chan uses a series of kinds of moves and they all reference back little fights that he had in the second act where somebody challenged him he would do this one thing and it wouldn't quite work and then he'd do another fight this other thing that didn't quite work and this happens like five times but when he gets to the final fight at the end he's able to do those things that he tried before but didn't work and by using them in conjunction with each other he then vanquishes the bad guy and that's the perfect example of how an act three storm the castle is supposed to work is that mm-hmm. the lessons you learned I like before that. work at the end. And I think that it was a little unearned at the end. It was cool to see from a fight choreography point of view, but it didn't make any sense to me that Niall was able to to integrate into their squad tactics. Like you're talking, I actually, is, that took me out of the film a little bit. There is. I, um, I totally get that. There is one possibility I want to throw in there. And actually, I'd need to go back and, and specifically watch that sequence 
sequence to um uh to to figure out if I'm just guessing at this or whether that was actually the case. Um so there's two levels of group tactics that are going on in this. Uh the first level is a very is a very small level like tactics between two people like okay, I'm doing this particular punch which is very specifically setting, you know, my opponent up for you to come in and do that or right, to do another attack. That is that's a level of tactics that is very much uh specific to the individuals. Like if you and I trained together and developed a, a ways of okay, we're both fighting two people um and so these are the things that we're going to do, I would not then be able to take those same moves and find some other person, maybe somebody else who is also just as trained in fighting, but I would not be able to take those and apply uh, that to a new partner. Um but then there's another level of squad tactics which is the actual at the squad level clearing a room. Uh who goes in first? How you um how you do a sweep. Uh there are probably, you know, I'm sure there are people with actual military training who know way more about this than I do. I have taken uh I had one person give me a a 2-hour uh breach and clear tactics class, which was an amazing experience of realizing just how much training goes into even how you stack up against the door and how you go in. Uh and I think the moments that I saw Niall really integrating with the team uh, there was one where like they're all sort of they've all got their guns up and they're moving as a group. Niall reaches out and or I think Niall, is, one of them is guarding a particular way. The others are starting to retreat. They reach out, hit that person on the shoulder. And I think that's Niall. They hit Niall on the shoulder and she starts backing up with them. Uh, to me, that seems more like there are general concepts now. Like I think it's under, like even if you've never fought with one particular uh, SWAT team before, if you're new and they're stacking up on the door, there's this understanding of okay, the per- first person who goes through goes in this direction, the next person who goes through goes in that direction. Uh, so, now all that being said, even if I am 100% accurate in that, and they had an incredibly smart fight choreographer who was like, okay, this is something that literally any small squad tactics thing in the modern world would know and made sure that Niall only did that, the fact is, to you, a layman, that didn't come across as clear. You were there, you instead had the question of why is she integrating so well? Sure, I think that her first scene with her squad in the Marines where the guy ends up cutting her neck. Um, that scene, I think she should have made a fundamental mistake. Something that, you know, she charged ahead. She didn't trust her, her squad. She choked at the moment of truth, whatever. Something happened that caused her to die. Mm -hmm. Then in the middle, instead of spending 10 minutes on Quinn, give her a little montage where she's with each of them. And they're like, they're like, let yourself feel what the rest of us are feeling. We not only dream with each other, we actually, (laughs) we share each other's instincts. What about, no, this is how you grab a sword. Okay. You're just like little Mm. 30 second segments. And then at the end, you know, have her do, have her do a thing where like, and then you throw the gun to each other. You're not supposed to throw here, throw the gun. Oh, she misses. Oh, she can't catch it. Oh, she can't catch it. Ugh, it's never gonna work. And then you get to the end scene and the guy throws the gun and she catches it, turns around, bam, 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 looks over at him and he's like, yeah. (laughs) And that's... And that's... That's how you set up a story. And instead, it was like, I... Like, and this is another nitpick. She's like, I'm not gonna kill anybody. I can't let anybody die. I know you guys are in trouble, but I'm done with killing. Killing's over. And then she leaves, and some stuff happens, and she's like, your situation... I now know that more of you are captured than I thought. Okay, I'm gonna kill everyone. <laughs> it's, it's really... It's, it's not a very well-earned changeover for her. And again, 
I don't mind because with 80s, 80s action movie logic, it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. And I had to, we've talked before about Scoop, and I will tell everybody here for no people don't know it, the concept of Scoop in the movie Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs, Ray Liotta gets his brain eaten, and the more his brain is eaten with a scoop, the dumber he gets. And occasionally I have to look over and say to Mrs. J, if a movie's losing me, I go, Scoop! And I really had to go when she was like, I'm going to go back in with all the guns. Scoop. And I don't know which guns had blanks and which didn't. That was a thing. I'm not really sure why they had blanks or which guns didn't, didn't. And it had something to do with like this secret code that she figures out at the end that were, I don't know. And because it's 80s movie at this point, I don't care. I'm having a really good time. The less I have to think (laughs) it's a weird, it's a weird transition because the first half of the movie is not like this. It's really good. It's that, you know, what's thoughtful. Can I just do a non sequitur that I really enjoyed? So we found ourselves in a position now where it's hard to fairly place people of Middle Eastern descent as the bad guys in a scene. Mm -hmm. We as Americans really screwed this up for a while. The, The most uncomfortable part of true lies is that it's just a bunch of, we are Arabs. So we hate America. America, death, death, death. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got to a point where we realized that we did this and either it had to be a realistic movie like The Hurt Locker mm-hmm. or your bad guys were venture capitalists and Russians. That's mm-hmm. what we went back to. Venture capitalists and Russians. Russians. No more Middle Eastern people. We can't do that anymore. Well, the fact is, is that we do have troops there. And the fact is, is that there are bad guys of Middle Eastern descent. People of Indian and Middle Eastern descent, that part of the world is like, you know, like a fifth of the population of the planet you're going Mm -hmm. to have bad guys what this movie did really well is it had a bunch of women approach a bunch of other middle eastern people who are women and the women were bad the kids were running up i was waiting for the scene where the kid has a bomb and that Mm -hmm. wasn't the case oh yeah that scene at the beginning there was when when niall was going through with the marines yeah uh, there was just wonderful there was just a guy and it was in the Middle East and he was a Middle Eastern guy, but he was not, he was, a, he was a bad guy. He wasn't just like death to America, kill it. That He was a bad guy who was doing bad things to these poor women. And you managed to do somebody of that, of that um, nationality or not nationality, I guess it's an area of the world, the people of that area of the world without making it a blanket sort of racist statement about everybody who's from there. He's mm-hmm. just, he's a bad guy. And the movie treated it really respectfully. And I thought that it was it was kind of refreshing and actually put me on Niall's side. That whole scene, yeah. it's like a it's like a 45 second scene. It's really short, but it really did a good job of making me feel a connection to them and also like, okay, this movie's gonna handle some things carefully. Mm-hmm. By the end of the movie, nothing's handled carefully. But that's okay too. <laughs> okay. It's so, okay too. I, I can't I can't overstate how okay too that is. Yeah. The uh so moving to the other thing that really jumped out at me, and I will say I missed this the first time. The second time watching this, the scene massively jumped out at me. And then I discovered if you go and Google this film, the scene about uh, what I'm about to discuss is like it is the highlight that or that is the thing that has drawn the most interest. Um, And that is in general, the uh, the romantic relationship between Joe and Nikki uh, overall is wonderful. Um, The two of them have such chemistry together. It's uh, it's great. But there is this scene where they've just been captured and 
and or you know both of them have been killed essentially joe wakes up uh and he reaches over to nikki to make sure he's okay um and i'm just going to and you know there was an article that just quoted it in its entirety and i'm going to do the same thing because if i can find it because it really is that um it's that good so he's checking to make sure nikki is all right and one of the guards uh you know very sort of you know toxic soldier bro is like so what is he your boyfriend and they kind of chuckle and then joe just turns and with 100 sincerity and here's the full quote he said you're a child an infant your mocking is thus infantile he's not my boyfriend this man is more to me than you can dream he's the moon when i am lost in darkness and warmth when i shiver in cold and his kiss still thrills me even after millennium his heart overflows with the kindness of which this world is not worthy i love this man beyond measure and reason he's not my boyfriend he's all and he's more uh which first and foremost is one of the most fantastic classiest smackdowns to a casual homophobic comment that i've ever heard i like their faces after the cutaways yeah. to them oh like, god oh crap shit okay. yeah um okay we're still gonna kill you but you know respect yeah and <laughs> so and so from the uh from the progressive standpoint this scene has really jumped out because there's a lot of talk people talking about how this movie might be if not the first certainly one of the best examples of openly gay care openly gay action characters in a relationship that's a that's not done very often and it's done really really well with the scene being sort of the the piece de resistance about that but the other thing that jumped out at me i was looking i was saying you know what i want to see i want to see more guys having speeches like this even if even if they're not gay the idea of a the idea of somebody who is capable of being this badass action person who is willing and able to you know to kill when necessary doing all of that and still being willing to be that completely vulnerable um about who they love and about how they feel uh i think that would be a i mean that would be a big big blow against uh against toxic masculinity and action films across the board no i agree i think that i found this i i, I found the scene to be slightly distracting um, wonderful, beautiful, but also it it was in the section of the movie where the movie movie has now gotten dumb. So to feel the hand of the writer at that point was distracting. But I did like it. I did like the scene, and I agree with absolutely everything, absolutely everything that you said and the importance of it. It was oddly placed for me in mm. in a section of the film where it would have done better for me in the first half of the film, mm-hmm. <laughs> where that's not what they were doing. But why not? And this film is a lot of like, why not? Why not do it? Yeah. Why not like? I get this. And as we're talking about it, I think and I'm agreeing with you on this. This is one of those rare films where the whole is actually less than the sum of its parts. The parts are all really good individually, but you're right. And that's just like you, you seem to choose a number of parts that don't normally go together. And then you put them together in a weird order to be like it's um, you're totally right. Yeah, there's you could t- I wouldn't even say that there's a good movie and a bad movie in this. There are two good movies that are so completely different that when you mash them together, it makes Makes both of them worse. Sure. I mean, and except here's the thing, because I think worse is not fair. Um, imagine this. Would you ever take a slice of American cheese and throw two pickles on it and put that in your mouth? No, probably not. No. Okay. I might. And and would you ever take a uh, a hamburger and mash it up and throw it into a salad? No, no, you wouldn't. And would you ever take a, a, a piece of bread and just put a tomato on it and just eat that for lunch? No, but you put it all together and it's a cheeseburger mm. and it works. It shouldn't. Like, would you <laughs> would you ever take you know lettuce and throw some ketchup on it and stick that in your mouth? No. <laughs> but you put it together in the right combination, and I'm telling you guys, this movie works. I don't know why, but it has created 
a cheeseburger for me. <laughs> I love it that. Is, Wonderful analogy. They, absolutely disparate tones and attitudes and even quality. And yet somehow, somehow it comes together in a way that I found, I don't want to say really satisfying, but just like kind of good, like a burger. Like, yeah. It's a pretty good burger. Like unless I'm having in and out a regular mm-hmm. old burger is not really going to blow my socks off. Mm-hmm. Even a pretty good burger, I'll be like, hey, that was a pretty good burger, but it's not going to blow my socks off. But mm-hmm. I'm going to go, hey, pretty good burger. Pretty good burger. And that yeah. that's what we got. Let's talk real quick about the characters before we go. Mm-hmm. Charlie's Theron is Andy. She does what she does yep. in this. Mm-hmm. She is not trying. She is not reaching. This is Furiosa. This is she's been doing this lately. This is this she's is very a, charted territory for her. Yeah, go watch Monster if you worry whether or not she can really act because mm-hmm. she is an astoundingly yes. great actress. And in the other direction, go watch uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West because her comic timing in that is astonishing. Also very good, and she's sort of playing this character, but a comic version of but this a comic character. version of this character, yeah. Kiki Lane as now Freeman. She's okay. Um, I feel like the it's probably the I, I kind of found it to be the weakest performance in the bunch. She's also the youngest mm-hmm. of the bunch. And yeah. I think that there's a gravitas that the older actors are able to bring. I, know, I didn't think she was bad. Like she didn't distract me from the character, no. but she's, but she didn't grab me in any way. Yeah. And, but given that she's sort of supposed, supposed to be the protagonist, there's a question as to whether or not she mm-hmm. or Shelley's Theron is the protagonist. There's a, <coughs> there's genres of movie again within save the cat and and the genres of the movie and save the cat are superhero though that doesn't have to be super because harry potter is a superhero movie mm-hmm. um or 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 haunted haunted mansion or or and this is a buddy this is what you call a buddy cop movie even though it's a drama mm-hmm. it's there there are two protagonists maybe one's a little more than the other but you're really bouncing between between the, the two. two of them and actually there were some buddy cop scenes there like the first when she is when Shirley theron retrieves her and uh and andy and niall are you know there's that niall's bucking against everything Andy's saying. There's some, which actually come to think of it, the the grouchy old captain some 48 training. hours there, right? Yeah, it's... the grouchy old captain training the new recruit. I don't know if I've seen that between two women before. So that was really kind of cool to see. But, and th- those were pretty fun, those scenes. Um, Booker and Joe and Nikki... I th- I really all, loved Joe and Nikki. I I liked Joe and Nikki, and I liked Booker. I have to say they they blended a little together for me. Outside of the the standout scenes that you said, I couldn't tell you which used which sword, which had mm-hmm. what history, except that you had the ones in the relationship. But they're, they're real good. Chuatel Echiofor is doing that thing that Chuatel Echiofor does. Um, not the Twelve Years a Slave thing where mm-hmm. he you know, where he really stretches himself. But this is the operative. This is sort of the character he plays in The Martian. Mm-hmm. He's like sort of, sm- he's smart, mm-hmm. has his own moral code, but is morally compromised by the fact that he wants something that achieving it will cause him to be bad. Mm-hmm. It's He's really good at that. Why not have him do that? I mean, yeah. I'm sure they were just like, hey, can you come play the operative, please? Yeah. Because it's it's sort of exactly that. And I got to give it to, to good old Dudley Dursley. Oh. Oh, man. For, for just giving a performance I didn't think that guy had in him. He was, I like, because I looked at him, I was like, I know that face. <laughs> he looked almost like a grown-up version of the CGI kid from the wrong side of the tracks in Polar Express. 
But I had to look him up. I was like, oh my gosh, that's Dudley. Mm -hmm. And he was great. He was wonderful in this. Um, And then everything else just sort of blends together. Quinn, I guess, is the other one to talk about. She's barely in the film. I kind of wish she wasn't. I I have to be honest. I kind of wish there was a a, a passing reference. It's a a one, like the idea of that. It's such a wonderful idea for a character. But it's the reverse of Chekhov's gun. It's just like, you know, the the old thing that we always say, just if you're going to fire a gun in the third act, introduce it in the first don't introduce a gun in the first act if you're not going to fire it in the third yeah i think that her scene i'll tell you when you could have done the quinn scene quinn's scene could have been how the movie opened that could have been your stinger because you can do kind of whatever you want in the first 10 minutes of an action movie mm-hmm. most james bond movies start with an action scene that has that nothing has to, nothing do, to with do with the plot true if you had had quinn's scene be an action scene at the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. and then she's gone and then to the end she shows up and you're like oh, oh. that's her from the beginning. actually I, okay so imagine this if you will so we had so it just so it opens the movie opens in the renaissance or like during the witch trials and everything and we see um andromache and quinn that whole scene happens with her being dragged away and everything like that we the camera focuses on uh andy screaming for her and then it suddenly cuts and suddenly we're seeing andy uh completely so it's very clear it's the same character modern um if you don't know what the idea of the film behind it, it creates a wonderful wait what moment and then you immediately go on to explain oh she's an immortal like that's a that would be a cool way of doing it yeah it's a i mean again it's a it's a nitpick mm-hmm. right it's i'm not i'm not making these complaints about predator <laughs> and predator's amazing predator's on top 20 action films ever made mm-hmm. yeah but it is no worse than there this. Are, and i said that's the thing there are certain films uh john wick uh among them that sort of they announce they do a very good job right off the bat of announcing what kind of film they're going to be which it, it's almost like to, to continue your scoop analogy some films will greet you at the door and hand you a spoon so that you know oh i'm going to be using this to scoop my brain out at certain points during this film sure um, I mean, to me, one of the best instances of that is uh, A Knight's Tale, which is a delightful film about uh, which is theoretically set in the Renaissance with jousting and everything like that. But the fact that you have the film open with a whole bunch of people at a joust singing We Will Rock You within the first two minutes of that film, they say this is exactly what we're going to be. If you are looking for anything remotely approaching historical accuracy, leave now. We warned you. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that The Scorpion King is another great example of that that where they're just like here's the blazing electric guitars just go with it just go yeah Mm -hmm. all right so the last question for this film then Mm -hmm. before we do our our ratings is is it a superhero movie i think i mean it's minus the if the crow can be yeah in europe because you you've stipulated a few times Mm -hmm. that you you are concerned that the crow might not in fact be a superhero well i think there's the thing is i think what we've been discovering the more movies review is of course there's a spectrum of superhero films uh and it all sort of depends on what your definition of that is here's a question um if the only if the only film that wolverine ever was in that was the only film that was part of the wolverine Wolverine storyline was Logan. Would that be a superhero film? Yeah, I think so. And I'll tell you why. Because if it is not, then neither is the first Iron Man. Because Iron Man is a film where Tony creates a lot of his own problems mm-hmm. and then Tony solves his own problems. Well, I'm, I'm sticking more from the sense of, so what you've got is in Logan, you have a film. Okay, so remove the Adamant. So, you know, I was even thinking, it's like, okay, if you removed the Adamantium Clause, so, so Logan's only thing is his regeneration, then Logan is essentially no different than 
these characters, I mean, their superpower is uh, is eternal regeneration. Sure. Yeah. So and, and badass fighting skills because mm-hmm. they've been around forever. So yeah. It's, we it's, we know that I think because Wolverine because Logan fought in Vietnam. If Logan's been around forever, he's yeah, been samurai we, trained. He's he's had if, a couple hundred years to train, so he's awesome. If we did a film that was just Logan in Vietnam, it would probably not feel like a superhero. Like if you did it right, it would not feel like a superhero film at all. It would be a pretty brutal war movie. Um. So I guess there's sort of there are superhero film there are superhero films that are definitively nothing but superhero films, and then there are films that are almost of another genre that happen to have superheroes in them. And I, I would certainly say that this film is closer to that than the other end of the spectrum. So I'm going to say that there are only three stipulations that have to happen for a movie to be a superhero film. One, it has to be a film, and we ran into that when we were doing the Crow sequels, where we were like, "Well, <laughs> was this? A, yeah, is this a film? Is this okay? You know, for us to be able to review it and us to be able to talk about it, you mm-hmm. know, we haven't talked about the Daredevil series. Why? Because it's not a film; it's, yeah. it's a TV series. And this, and this, so, de- there was nothing that felt just made for TV about yeah. this particular one. This was a film, so mm-hmm. part one done. Are they super? That's the second question. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they are super. They have a power. They their power allows them to come back. Their long life has allowed them to train, especially you know, even without her her regenerative regenerative powers. Andy is super still at the end because mm-hmm. she has been. She's Black Widow levels of. Uh, she's beyond Black Widow. She, yeah. she was Black Level Widows a thousand years ago, and mm-hmm. she she's learned every possible. So yeah, she's as super super as Batman at least, mm-hmm. and then and then Wolverine as well. It's Batman. Man Wolverine together. She's the most trained, able to super heal. So we agree that she's super, right? Mm-hmm. So the question becomes: Are they heroes? Because yes. that's the third thing. It's super. I, su- it's a super film. Mm-hmm. Is it a super hero film? And I would say the question of that hero thing is: Does the thing that they're doing count as heroism if they are serving their own personal interests? And that's something that you ran into with the crow. The crow is doing heroic stuff, but mm-hmm. the reason he's doing it is for to satisfy his own quest for vengeance. It just so happens that he's ridding the streets of some bad guys. But yeah. the reason he's doing it is not heroic. The so reason he's doing here's it is a, here's my himself. interesting answer. To that. That's a good point. That so the thing is, is that the my answer to that is that these characters are very clearly heroes. They just uh, you know they have been you know who have a very very long history of altruism. Uh, in fact, the whole you know Andy's crisis of faith is her whole thing. She says it um, a few times at the beginning. She's like, we're not making the world better. The world is just getting worse. What we've been doing, what we've been trying to do, is meaningless. Which is what makes the the thing at the end where, you know, they see uh, Copley's, you know, whole wall of connections and the realization and revelation that, no, everything that you have done has saved, you know, has in its own way saved humanity, which makes that land. Uh, So the characters themselves are altruistic heroes. Interestingly, they don't really have any altruistic goals aside from saving themselves and staying alive and free in this film. Well, um, in the last three quarters of this film, this film starts with them. It starts with them trying to save kids we should not do this this would be bad for us mm-hmm. but we have to because it's kids yeah so the 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 plot is started by a, a moment of altruism and i would say it's a lot like x-men has 
only one moment of altruism that that, that they ever do. They they do save New York, but really they're just trying to save Rogue. That's true. It's, it would be like if you had a uh, if you had a Batman film and the first fifteen minutes was him in Gotham cleaning up crime, you know, taking out criminals and everything like that. But then the the rest of the film was the Riddler had trapped him in this fiendish uh, in this you know in this fiendish amusement park or whatever, and the rest of the film was Batman just trying to get out of it, just trying to survive, um, using his super skills to do it. Um, and we would know from the beginning that, oh yeah, this is a superhero, you know, long term, his goal is cleaning up Gotham. But for the majority of this one film, his goal is pure survival. Um, well, I, but I mean, you could say that that's the plot of the entire first Batman movie. He does lots of heroic stuff, but like, he's like, they're in an art museum and the Joker kills everyone, but tries to kidnap Batman's girlfriend. And he's like, hey, hey, hey it's <laughs> not so cool. What what is he what does he do in in the first in Batman 89 he saves his girlfriend and then kills the guy who killed his parents that's that's what the Batman 89 <laughs> is that's all he does yeah. in the film he's got no no interest in stopping crime in Gotham except in the first 10 minutes and like once the Joker shows up he's just like this guy killed my parents I am going to <laughs> smash this dude yeah um, um, but by your by your I like those three things as a as a good guideline for a metric. The super um, hero, super hero, and film. film. I like that. That's brilliant. I think um, this. One I qualifies. would say this. Yeah, I would say this film answers all three of those pretty pretty strongly with a yes. Well, and I I think that the save the cat moment. So what the term save the cat refers to is that in, at some point at the beginning of the movie, you need to have your main character, no matter how bad they are, do something that is completely um, not self-serving that lets the audience side with them. The mm-hmm. best examples of this Wolverine goes ahead and lets Rogue ride with him, even though he doesn't want to. He is the moment he drives away and he's like, ugh, fine, yeah, fine. come yeah. on. You know, it's when it's when Aladdin, who's the thief, takes his bread and gives it to the, the, the poor kids at the beginning of Aladdin. The minute mm-hmm. he gives them the bread and he's like, here... Uh, like you're with him you're you're into him and i think that that's the the hallmark of a hero and yeah these guys are altruistic they they want to serve the common good they could just walk away they choose mm-hmm. not to and they use their powers for the betterment of mankind and it's a movie it's a good yeah. one so let's do it on a scale of yeah. one to five reincarnating immortals mm-hmm. what would you give the old guard ironically there are five reincarnating immortals or, know, or resurre- did, resurrecting that, immortals that's why yeah. i did that that's, ah, yeah they're resurrecting not reincarnating yeah. sorry Go um the uh oh gosh so here's the thing uh on its own i would have given this probably just a solid 3.5 um in the sense that it's just like it was fun i watched it i enjoyed it um going back and watching it the second time again it was the second viewing that really um i would bump it to a four and again not because of its overall cohesion because you're right in that there are missteps and everything along the way but i from the fight choreography in me was deliriously happy anytime there was an action scene in this um there was a crispness that never lost any of the the uh, I'm just coming up with this phrase now there was a crispness and a crunch the crispness being you can see what's going on nice moments are highlighted but without losing the emotional crunch of you know the impact of a good fight scene Uh, and also this has I'm going to give it a little extra because it it is pushing the genre forward and that suddenly now we've got not just superheroes but we've got you know badass gun toting mercenary soldiers who happen to be very openly vulnerable and gay uh, I think that's a that's an important thing. Um, I'm I certainly hope we will see many more of those in the future. Uh, but for the time being, this is the film that's going to get the little bump from me on that. So I will give this four on its own. I would have given it a three for the same reasons I'm going to give it a three point five. 
fours are fours that you said at the beginning how the film didn't knock your socks off the way a marvel would you're like ah oh, that's a, a satisfying film this is a burger it's a burger of a film i i don't want to say nothing wrong with it plenty wrong with it lots of problems <coughs> structurally it's a mess the end of it is like an 80s action movie the great thing for me is i grew up on 80s action movies i've seen <laughs> so many i would literally go on a friday to blockbuster video and just go let's do blood sport like just i love them and this goes from being a born identity to being a predator and why not? Well, in fact, Predator kind of goes from a born identity to being Predator, mm-hmm. point of fact. I think that this is just a really solid, again, I couldn't watch it every week, but give me one of these every year and a half. I will watch 10 of them. I really will. I will just, I see Old Guard 2. I'm like, yep, I'm in. Uh, do I, will I give this a movie even a second thought next week? No. Mm. It was hard to hold it in my head for the five days bef- between watching it and doing this recording. But I liked it and I enjoyed it. I feel like Charlize is strong. I think Chiwetel is strong. I think that they anchor this movie. I think the relationships between the rest of the old guards are good. I think there's, you know, the the actress who played Niall, I think she might have a, like, if she can kind of expand her range, I would like to see her have that sort of breakout, you know, mm-hmm. here's what I really can do. Um, and that happens, right? I, I couldn't have given two craps about Zendaya when I first saw her in Spider-Man Homecoming. But you see the work she's doing now and you're like, oh, okay. No, there's more there. And I feel like I feel like um Niall has has a a chance to go there. I see a super lot of potential. I just don't think that she's quite there yet. Um, but it's a solid, solid film. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's fun and it's a superhero film. Well, thank you so much for the suggestion, right? Like like, yeah. like we take requests. Yay. Call our request line. <laughs> <laughs> so uh next week, um I are we may be doing Wonder Woman. We may not. We'll be doing something awesome. We'll be doing something, yeah. It'll be awesome. But thank you for sticking with us through the old guard. My name is Justin. And my name is Arthur. And hey there, true believers. Stay super and immortal and violent and awesome. And Quit while you're ahead, Justin. Charlize and Chiwetel actually being immortal. It might might be. This is going to be one of the where it just sort of fades off on our voices talking as opposed to a (laughs) clean... Now that you've finished the show, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode of the Totally Super Podcast. Also, if you like this, you should head over to geeksradio.com or search Geeks Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. There you can find Trek Off, the not-safe-for-work Star Trek podcast with Justin and Alexia. So search for Trek Off, search for Pop Off, search for Geeks Radio, and just thanks for joining us. This has been a presentation of Enlight Entertainment.